Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we talk about Sunday morning child care in one particular church in Memphis, Tennessee, where uh, the ETC, TBRI, um, connection-based practices have begun being implemented in the child care setup at uh, Fellowship Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, this is a really interesting episode for a lot of different reasons, but um, for a lot of you re- listening, you might be uh, a family that goes to church on Sunday morning, goes to a, a place of faith to worship um, throughout the week, and you always have that question, um, who's doing child care? Are they prepped for my child and our particular challenges, um, and can they handle it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, we asked Paula Powell and Mo Ottinger to come on and talk about how those practices were established at Fellowship and the work it took to begin um, slowly changing that system of traditional childcare into more of a trauma-informed childcare system um, over time and how that took place. And um, it's just a really, really great conversation, um, really empowering, but also one that is going to bring um, some just practical solutions. Like here's some next steps for you if you're just now starting off on that journey. So uh, without any further ado... Please enjoy the conversation between myself, Mo Ottinger, and Paula Powell. Well, as I mentioned early on in the show today, we've got um, Paula Powell today and Mo Ottinger. And uh, while Mo is um, the executive director at ETC, uh, Mo has also served time, um, as a lot of you guys know, um, as a pastor in his former life. And so uh, Paula and Mo were both on staff together at church. And um, we wanted to have them on today because as we talked about systems change and how do we begin to implement these things that we learn um, in the principles from TBRI and attachment theory and all the things that we begin to learn in, in forms of connection and how it um, how it can produce felt safety, which then can produce change. We, we wanted to then have uh, someone in the church space on a talk and, and what Paula and Mo um, helped to create at the church they worked at um, has been monumental and really, really important. So without uh, stealing all their thunder, guys, thanks for being here today. And um, and I, I want to just, if, if we can, um, for people who are, are just tuning in and um, have not heard the story, I mean, obviously you guys shared portions of this um, at Show Hope, Hope for the Journey conference that aired on uh, the previous week. And so um, Paula, Amo, or, and why don't we start with Paula? Paula, will you just kind of share just some context to um, your role at the church and, um, and kind of what you do there and uh, why this even came up in the first place? Yeah. Hey, I'm Paula Powell, and I am the family care coordinator at our church, Fellowship Memphis. Um, I have been at our church for about 16 years, and I have uh, served with our kids and our family for 15 of those 16 years. And um, yeah, it has just grown throughout the years in my understanding of what uh, ministry can look like there with um, in regards to just the needs that I've seen and as I've built relationships and what I want uh, for our families to know and experience um, both on a Sunday morning as well as just as being part of our church. And um so, yeah, I think that that's kind of where my role has kind of evolved throughout the years. 
Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, Mo, how about for you? You know, you have told the story in the podcast several times before that you um, were introduced to ETC and began um, going through the material and, and kind of getting um, ingrained with this style of thinking and parenting and all of that over 10 years ago. Um, and as you're on staff of the church, how did that shift begin to take place where it then moved into the church? Yeah, I mean, I remember, man, it was February 2010, you know, I guess 2008, 2009 is when we we heard Dr. Purvis and went to the first ETC conference, and then we went out with the Monroes, and I remember driving back to Memphis February 2010 going, man, I'm ready for everybody to, like, it was so, it, it just breathed life. Yeah. It, it, there was hope, there was hope for my home, and so... um but the implementation, right? Like I, I, we were, we began to implement this in our home as parents, Tana and I did, and began to see this, this healing begin to happen for yeah. all of us um, in my marriage, in parenting. And of course, then I'm, I'm a campus pastor for a church and w- wanted this for everybody and, yeah. and just began to, uh, <laughs> you know, um, what you want with system change is you want everybody to just hear a talk on it and want to adapt it. (laughs) And, and that's not how it goes. And, uh, I mean, Paula would even have to confess that she thought I was crazy when I first came back to, (laughs) to share this. Right. And so, you know, you, you begin, um, yeah, we we I tell people we started by teaching a parenting class with three couples. Mm-hmm. And that's where the work began for us. Um yeah. and we just gradually kept doing that. And then as opportunities arose, we began to have opportunities to speak into things. And and that's been the that was the slow, the slow roll of how this went. I think that's helpful because there is this you know, there, there's this internal sense of urgency that we all have when, when we hear this material and we begin to see it implemented somewhere where it makes sense. The thought is, well, now it's a no brainer that everyone needs to adopt this immediately into their practices. Um, and it is harder to, to get that established. So Paula, do you mind sharing with me your first thoughts when you heard Mo begin to talk about this, like your, your first reaction, uh, to bringing this into the church? Yeah, so I uh, actually started out as Mark's admin, and so um, would just hear a lot of stories uh, from his home and, um, you know, his desires for the church, and um, I think it sounded nice, but didn't feel sustainable, (laughs) and and I think it's just because of which people say that about a lot of things that I say, but don't, let's just <laughs> um, especially being his admin of the one who he was giving tasks to, to <laughs> flesh it out. Um, but really, the implementation was his his plan was to just have you implement it. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he's a visionary, so I was like, well, we could try it. Um, and um, over time, I started seeing that it was sustainable. It was beautiful. Um, and um, I started seeing the, the beauty of the connection that was happening. And 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that over time, my heart warmed to it and my brain caught up to how it just it made sense that that is um how we're designed how we're created um and yeah like that these this is what is um longer lasting um so yeah I, i think you know maybe maybe the next place that that I would want to ask you Paula is you know as as you're beginning to learn more about this material and you're you're learning about trauma in the brain like how did that stuff begin to then make its way into your work or did it come to home first or or into work how did that happen for you uh it came to my home first um so uh as mark was doing the empowered to connect classes one of my uh, duties was to uh, print all the copies of the curriculum for notebooks for each of the uh, uh, couples participating and families. And, and Paula, um, to pause there for people who don't know how much printing that was, like, oh yeah, you want to give them a sense of how big one of those notebooks were. For oh them? yeah, I mean, I don't uh, like it's pretty thick, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're talking like what 15, 20 couples. Um, so. <laughs> one of those for each couple, um, participating. Um, but as I'm printing, I started, you know, just reading some things as I was, uh, waiting on the printer to finish and I would, you know, maybe print an extra copy to take home and right. uh, Mark calls it bootlegging. <laughs> um, and you know, it would just ponder over it. And even as, you know, when I first started working with Mark, I was newly married, had no kids. And so then even as I became a mom myself and, uh, you know, started needing um, to figure this out more, um, yeah. was turning to those things to help make sense of it. And um, I would even print myself the copies that had the answers written out. <laughs> yeah, that's um, but uh, you know, I wasn't having the training to go with it or the community, and so uh, um, so I was kind of hobbling my way through it. I felt like right, um, and I didn't get the full grasp of it still. Um, and even I would take home and share with my husband, and and but he didn't have that entire context as well. So um, we eased our way into it until we finally took the plunge in went through the empowered to connect course. Okay. So you guys go through the course, you know, Owen Tana are implementing this at home. Uh, there were lots of folks in the church who had also taken the courses and, and there begins to be this kind of groundswell for, Hey, can we, can we implement this on Sunday mornings with childcare, which for anybody who works in a church, goes to a church, you know, the thought of doing that, that's a, that's a pretty countercultural, like a, a, a pretty, uh, tough implementation, right? So, Paula, can you can you kind of walk us through like those first steps of implementing that? Like, obviously, felt safety being a, a massive portion of what we're trying to accomplish here with with our kids. And so, how did you begin to implement this into the kids' ministry on Sunday mornings, away from just kind of seeing it in home and in in the uh, the printout the printout <laughs> copies? Yeah. Um... So for many years, we actually attempted to establish this at our church. 
Um, but again, I feel like uh, it was kind of the same process that I had with trying to implement it in my home at first that we just didn't have the entire context. Um, we were trying to just make up things as we went and uh, uh, help uh, serve kiddos and families um, with the best of what we knew at the time, but without um, having uh, an extensive plan going into it. Yeah, yeah. Let me can I? Yeah, let me just say this, JD. When we came back twelve years ago with this and wanted everybody to implement, like uh, I tell people, it was lonely. Like, mm. like in the context of parenting within a church, it was lonely. Like we were the only ones, um, you know, when you asked earlier, you know, asked Paul earlier about the, once you begin to understand the brain and trauma in the brain and you begin to understand how the body works and how children are affected, the whole system is affected. Yeah. Like there was such a major paradigm shift for us and then to be, you know, uh, the campus pastor, and I think we had like 800, 900 people at our campus and, the, you know, a couple hundred kids, like, like I began to see people differently, right? I began to see the needs of people differently. Um, and, but it was so counter everything else, right? And so if I can just say traditional parenting models, this was not it. And to talk about the brain and understanding sensory processing and children struggling with transit on and on and on. It was just um, like, we knew that it had to be a slow implementation. Like, where was it going to go? We started with the parenting class. And then like Paula said, like, uh, okay, all children's workers, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, they're like staring at us, like, deer in headlights. Right. And so it was just like, I remember, um, the specific conversation we had one of our, um, elementary, uh, elementary age kids directors want to make a change on Sunday mornings. And she, she cut out snacks for that one hour Sunday school class. Good intentions, right? It was going to save money on the budget. I mean, first grade through fifth grade, they can go an hour without eating. They, you know, we got- Most their parents are going to pick them up and take them to lunch anyways. Yeah, that's right. Like we we got, I've got this worship time I have to do. I have to do the lesson. I have to do the craft, all this stuff. And it was like, oh, by the time it slows my momentum. Once I get everything out, we don't need to do it. Um, But once you start understanding- the effects of trauma in the brain. And you begin to understand that a child that has a history and has experienced hunger as part of their story, and you understand the amygdala of the brain that is firing and looking for, you know, uh, trying to protect, trying to protect themselves, right? And so you have this little sweet little one in a class who cannot hear the lesson, cannot hear the worship, is fidgety and overwhelmed the whole hour of the Sunday school class um, because they can't understand why there's no goldfish, right? And I remember the conversation in my office drawing a picture of the brain and saying, here's the lower brain, here's the upper brain, 
here's the staircase, you know, the Dan Siegel, the, yeah. the staircase up to that brain. Maybe it is in that upper brain that they're going to hear the gospel and the Bible story and all that sort of stuff. But that child cannot engage with you on Sunday because that baby gate, the amygdala, has blocked it off. And I remember having that one conversation saying, all right, now you know why we're not going to cut out goldfish. We will spend the $27 a Sunday to have goldfish in all the elementary classrooms, right? Right. But it's those types of conversations, once you begin to understand, um, like, it's it's the small it's it's those small things. It's beginning to make policy changes. It's beginning to think through the way a class is structured. It's the beginning to understand uh, even uh, a, a worship service. I mean, you know, I, I think so much of what is designed within the church is kind of right down the middle. And a, and if a child or if a family, if a kid, if an adult can can stay. If they are if they are the stereotypical right down the middle person, they can handle all that happens on a Sunday morning. But yeah. but you begin to take people on the peripheral. You begin to take someone that has sensory processing, maybe has a trauma past, and there's so much about Sunday and the way we design things that is so overwhelming, and we wonder why children struggle. We wonder why, um, you know. People maybe don't feel comfortable within a, a worship service or whatever because I think so much of it is designed that 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 actually um, hinders the ability to participate than than welcomes. Yeah, yeah, that's so good, Paula. When you're when you're beginning to implement this on you know a classroom level and on more of a structural level, um, I know you've you know we talked before. Um, before we start recording today about just the, you can't create felt safety till there's physical safety, right? Do you want to talk through some of that and like this, the early implementation stages of that and, and trying to create the right atmosphere for that in the class? Uh, yeah. So I think kind of like what Mark said, you just kind of go in with different eyes and see the different needs. Um, and, uh, in my specific role, uh, you know, I think, what the actual safety side looks like. Uh, you know, we have adult to child ratios. We do background checks. We do trainings for everybody who serves. Um, but as we move towards um, actual safety versus felt safety, and so, um, yes, a, a parent could drop off a child knowing that Everybody, every adult in that room has their background checked. You know, there's um, age-appropriate supplies in that room, and there's a curriculum that they've prepared. But their child could still be very anxious going into the classroom. And so also knowing that extra layer that we can have a person that is going to walk up, get on the eye level of that child, um, offer them choices, tell them their name and acknowledge that, you know, like that there's those extra layers that we can add. Those are the things that we started implementing to um, create a different environment um, that was conducive to all families and their needs. Because, J.D., I mean, I think the 
Paula just hit on it. And and I think this is what people, you know, I think that we all need to understand. There is a difference between um, being safe and feeling safe. And, you know, uh, I had someone recently say, you know, sitting down one of the core values of ETC and, and I said, felt safety. And he was writing on a board and, and he wrote safety. And I said, no, I said, I said, felt safety. And he was like, man, I've never heard that. W- what is that? And, and I think, and, and that is, um, you know, uh, I took my kids to the park this weekend and there was this real steep slide and one of them was a little tentative to go down it. And, um, I knew they were safe, but like, they still needed me kind of close, right? Like they, they needed to feel safe. Um, and so like to feel safe means that the, the child or the adult's needs are being met. The person is safe and the situation is safe. And we've got to do everything we can um, to make sure that that our that people within the church feel safe, and that is um, that was a massive transition for me. That that was a massive transition for me as a parent, um, realizing that hey, bud, you're fine. Like we're you, you just go to sleep, right? Dad, I need you to check all the doors. Yeah man, no one's going to like, in all my years, no one's going to break in tonight, you know, but nope. I got to walk around with my kid. Even to this day, I walk around with one of my kids and we lock all the doors. Like there's this difference between safety and feeling safe. And so, um, you know, I'll say my teenagers, some of them got phones earlier than I ever anticipated. Right. But, but my, my child just needed to have the ability to know that they could get me at any time. Yeah. And the reason they got it, they were going to youth group and, and all was good and all was safe. But like they, yep. man, there was this felt safety for them. Um, and so I, I simply share that of going, you know, we so often, think, of course, the kids safe going into kids ministry or of course they're safe going into the service. And I think what Paula did a, has done an unbelievable job with is recognizing there is a difference between, you know, physical safety. Yes. They, they take all the policies, procedures, and background checks and do all the things for the, absolutely there is safety there, but also the felt safety. How do I make that child feel safe? That parent feel safe, um, Mm -hmm. that there is trust there. And I trust my, I trust my Sunday school teacher that I just dropped that kid off. I trust that like that, that is such a massive, um, massive win for everybody on a Sunday yeah. to feel safe. And, okay. um, yeah, so just no understanding that, uh, there is a difference between, uh, being safe and feeling safe. That's really good. Paula, I think as we kind of wrap up today and, and, uh, look toward the, the last question here for people who are listening, who are just feeling like, okay, this is definitely a move we, we want to make, need to make. Any advice for people as they're starting out in trying to begin implementing this in their, their church setting specifically? Yes, I was thinking about um, the quote by Maya Angelou, and it says, do the best you can until you know better, 
and when you know better, do better. Mm. <laughs> and um, it makes me emotional because I think about uh, just a lot of times when we don't go to those places because it feels uh, hard or um, dark or heavy. Um, but so many families and kids live there. Mm. And so when we enter that space with them and we, we learn with them, then um, it's just, it's a powerful way to serve one another, love one another, see one another and be in it with them. And so um, my encouragement is just for people to, uh, learn so you can do better um, and uh, yeah, uh, do the work um, because mm. it's worth it and um, and it's just it applies across the board like in all your relationships with every human being it just um, once you start becoming more informed and you grasp it then um, it just carries you so far um, and it empowers others when you care too. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll just close by saying, you know, and I've already kind of alluded to it, but like for an adult, um, so often the church experience Sunday mornings can be really difficult. Um, for a family, who has a child that struggles on Sunday morning, um, it's difficult. It's lonely. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, 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 I mean, Paula said a dark place. And I just think, man, if there's, if there's a place that should be anything <laughs> a place that shouldn't be dark and hard and oh. overwhelming and a place that could breathe life into people. Why not a faith community? Why not a church? Right. And so, yeah. I mean, I love the the quote that Paula just read. And I think, I think we, we need to do better. We must do better. And our families, um, like I just think of just all the families that um, need to be supported and it's not an easy process. And it's, it's, it's not, like I said earlier, implementation is slow and steady and it started with just conversations. It started with a parenting class. It started with Paula beginning to say, all right, let's, let's start a buddy system and let's begin to implement things for you know, this, a smaller group of families. And then how do we begin to train all of our teachers? How do we begin? Like it just grows. So Paula, if I'm, if I'm hearing this for the first time and I'm in a context where I don't have this as a regularity in church and I'm, I'm beginning to think, well, we need to figure out getting this in our church and in our community. What, what would be my, you know, your advice for some first steps? Like how, how do people begin walking down this road for themselves? Um, I would first recommend, um, just like I said, with getting, uh, yourself informed first, um, 
having your head fully wrapped around it, engaging in it, um, engaging in some of the practices, um, and whether uh, whether you're implementing it at home or um, doing life with others who are implementing it, and you know, it, there's a saying: proximity breeds empathy, and so seeing how um, others' needs, what others' needs are, and how they are meeting them, um, and then seeing how things could be adjusted at your church to be able to offer that support. Um, and even just my personal story with my kiddo and my family. So my kiddo was younger, um, just lots of, uh, sensory processing things that we were trying to figure out. We didn't even know. And, um, but we saw just that struggle every Sunday morning of coming to church and, um, and like Mark said, I've felt that, um, uh, even just being on staff and, mm. uh, and being on staff with a kid's ministry and my kiddo did not enjoy the kid's classrooms. Yeah. And so, you know, there was some guilt and shame and pressure that I had, um, and, um, going in it as I, as my understanding evolved then my vision evolved of what um, a Sunday morning could look like for him. And so then um, just one step at a time, just started making some asks of how we could do things differently. And, um, and that started out for us by having a buddy for him for certain aspects um, that could uh, be different. And then um, just seeing the uh, the growth that was had through that, then I would share those experiences with um, other staff members and uh, was transparent in that and just wanted that for more families. And so then we started implementing a system so of more buddies so that other families could have that same experience. And, um, you know, our Sundays transformed from uh, uh, struggling to get him in church to now it's a struggle to get him to leave church when it's over <laughs> and because he just he enjoys being there and you know yesterday was a Sunday morning and last night he said um today was the best day ever oh. and I said hey bud what was your favorite part and he said is hanging out with his buddy that morning mm. um and we had a very full day of doing lots of fun things and that was his that was the highlight of his day and so um it like I said earlier with Mark, it it is a transformative process that can um, evolve, but um, just do the next step. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, any any last thoughts from you? Well, you know, I, I am passionate about um, the local church doing better in this area, um, just as Paula. You know, I, I am grateful that Paula's got her little guys and 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 are in a situation where they are um, feel safe and they're in an environment that's conducive for them to grow and they love and. Um, but man, you know, I 
unfortunately, I said, I've, you know, we fumbled our way through this and mm-hmm. I've got, I've got kiddos in their twenties that, um, were hurt by, by what happened in church, mm-hmm. um, that we did not have a place that they felt safe and, and, did not understand them. And, and I mean, I look back on those years and I look back on, um, you know, just things that, that we tried and, and things that I wish we would do differently. And, and, um, I mean, I am, I am deeply passionate about this, um, because I want, um, I want all kids to be able to flourish uh, within, uh, their faith community. And so, uh, this is not just, uh, some hypothetical I've, I've experienced, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly of all of it. And I've, I've felt all the emotions as a parent and I trust, um, that the Lord can work in all of my kids' lives and, and, that he is working in, in all of my kids' lives, but I just, I, I just, um, you know, there is, there is some regret that, um, we did not do better at an earlier age for them Hmm. in regards to the Hmm. faith community. So we are passionate about supporting and helping churches do this better. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. Guys, thank you both so much. I, I mean, this is obviously a conversation we could have for hours and hours and hours. Um, but thank you for coming on and sharing uh, sharing this story with us. Thanks. Yep, thanks. Well, I hope that uh, for those of you who um, are brand new to this conversation and have not um, begun the process of implementing this in your daily lives, hopefully that is a really positive, encouraging first step for you. Um, It's just to know the content. Um, I I will say, along with Mo and Paula, um, our own personal journey in life has has really involved... um, kind of getting a deeper understanding of the content ourselves before we could begin figuring out how to implement it well within our family context and then how to be able to prep family members and to talk with them about different ways to de-escalate or with babysitters who might be coming to help out um, around the house. And so, um, man, just so grateful for Paula, for Mo, for coming to share and and just for the story that they um, represent. Um, Gosh, just powerful stuff. So, Two notes I would say, number one, um, feel free always to reach out to us uh, to share this episode with anybody that you think might uh, be interested in hearing more about it. Um, And then number two, I would say for some more um, practical examples and then more of the context around this story, um, go to showhope.org and check out um, the Hope for the Journey simulcast that is that is uh, live on their website now. Um, you can register to be able to watch it um, and take part. Paula and Mo told uh, this story in a panel format during the Hope for the Journey conference um, in a little bit more detailed, elaborate way. And so it'd be a, a really great resource for you to check out if you are looking to see um, some more examples or steps or conversations around how this can be implemented in a church context. So... Hope you enjoyed that. Feel free to give us feedback along the way uh, if you have more questions. So for everyone at Empowered to Connect, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Bye.